0: Welcome into the A-List podcast. I'm Connie A. Lunis, joined by A. Sherrod Blakely. And, of course, this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online AG. Make sure to check them out if you haven't done so already. Sherrod, we are still talking about coaching candidates for the Boston Celtics. Who do you think is inching towards the finish line?
1: Oh, no one. No No one one is inching towards the finish line. I think the Celtics, they're still sorting out who they want to target, who who makes the most sense. But the the Mm -hmm. thing that we have to keep in mind is that it's not just the Celtics and a field of candidates. It's the Celtics, it's Portland, it's Orlando, it's all these other teams that are starting to enter the competition because they have openings as well. And so the Celtics really have to fine tune who they want and really be, I think more aggressive and proactive in, in their search and figure out as soon as they can, who they want and make a poll. Don't wait around for others to, to, to for folks to go through the whole process. If you interview someone and you're feeling good about that person, you need to strike when the coals are hot. Uh, and I, my biggest concern is that they won't and that they'll wind up getting someone that wasn't their top choice. And, again, we've seen many instances where that number one choice uh, isn't the one you wind up with, and it turns out pretty good. But I would think in this case, if you're Brad Stevens and this is your first major move in the new role that you're in, that you want to get the person that you wanted above all others, not the person that you had to settle for.
0: Yeah. And I think the thing that makes this race even, I call it a race because, as you mentioned, there are two other teams that are looking for a head coach at the moment. And a lot of talk has been surrounding the very qualified women that are being considered for these jobs. And if anything, if the Celtics want to be the first again to do so, not that they should rush solely to be the first, but if they do intend on hiring someone that, would make NBA history. That is all the more reason to maybe expedite the process and, and still make sure that you're getting a very highly qualified candidate.
1: Yeah, I, I think the Celtics—they're in a great position to really. I think, you know, to to do well with whoever they hire. I think when you look at when you look at the candidates that you know are out there, I think there are multiple candidates that can fit in well with this organization. The, the, to me, the challenge is going to find the candidate. Who can put together the right staff that can complement whatever that candidate's strengths and or weaknesses are. And to me, that that's where you really have to be smart about who you hire and get a sense before you hire them who they're thinking about bringing on board. Uh, I look back at Doc Rivers, you know, when and you, you as great a motivator I think Doc Rivers can be and, and someone who can really uh, connect with players. He needed an absolute maniacal tactician on his bench, and he got that in Tom Thibodeau. And we all knew pretty early on that Thibodeau was not going to be an assistant for very long because yeah. he was very good at a very specific part of the game to the point where you knew at some point someone would want him to lead their organization. Mm-hmm. And whoever the Celtics bring in for a coach, they can't be intimidated or, or by having strong assistants. Uh, because yeah, the yeah. whole point of of having those people around you is for them to strengthen you to complement whatever you do well, so that the team can then do well. So I, I think the key is as important as it is for them to have the right hire as a head coach, they have to have the right hire as a head coach who can galvanize a staff that will strengthen not only, them, but also the organization. And, and that's, you know, we don't talk a lot about that, but I think that is, if you're, if you're Brad Stevens, that has to be one of those things that when you're evaluating candidate X over candidate Y and Z, you have to give that some thought and, and, and really, really put that, I wouldn't say at the top of, of your wish list, but certainly it needs to be on a short list of things that you, that are must haves in your next head coach.
0: Yeah, that is something very important to highlight because whether you want to admit it or not, a lot of times a head coach is the face of the coaching staff. But there are, like you said, supplemental pieces around him that have specialties, hopefully within the game, that they can help their players succeed. I mean, you look at Patriots, um, NFL overall rosters, right. they literally specify special teams coach, wide receiver coach, quarterback coach. Yes, the NBA doesn't necessarily do that, but the NBA does have coaches that, that are assisting in those specific areas, when it comes to the game of basketball, so yeah. that's a really good point to highlight.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and also, uh, you know, as we talk about things to highlight, we also can talk about things that are lowlights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly, you know, the Celtics season how it ended was definitely a lowlight for them. Uh, adding insult to injury was our good friend Kyrie Irving, mm-hmm. uh, as folks remember, with the with the uh, the stomping on, on Lucky's uh, mug, uh, the logo, um, and then. Tyree suffering an ankle sprain. The same foot that stomped on the logo. Mm-hmm. Uh our good friend, big I can't baby? even call him a good friend. Big I Baby, know. we need to bring uh, him on. Can we bring him yeah. on? Yeah. Oh gosh. I we, hmm. we we need to get FCC approval on that one cuz there'll be some 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 uh, some F bomb, be-
0: Abu will have a lot. Yeah. Of to Abu, edit, so we Abu gonna gonna be <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
1: No, but Big Baby he he talked about how it was payback and for for stepping on Lucky. I I wouldn't go that far. I just I I don't think it was that deep. But yeah. uh what what's what's your take on just Kyrie and the karma, if you will, uh of of what he did and and where he's at now where he's not uh going to play in game 5 and there's there's some talk that he may not be back for the series uh for Brooklyn. So what what's your take on just all of, you know, all that has transpired with Kyrie?
0: I find it very unfortunate that it did happen that way. And it does happen to be the foot that he stomped over Lucky on. But as you know, with the NBA, we never want to see any injuries. In addition yeah. to that, the fact that we want players to stay healthy is the fact that now we're looking at the Nets and they're down one of their, their star players. And that just makes the series a little more competitive, I guess, mm-hmm. so to speak, where we're now curious as to whether or not the Nets can really seal this out or if. Kyrie's loss will be something that is noticeable on the floor for them.
1: Yeah. Well, the the one thing, and and I was talking with with someone about this uh, actually earlier today. If you think about Kevin Durant's career, he's been in the league for about 14 years. And take away his first year in the league when he was a rookie. But every other year since then, he's played with at least one first ballot future Hall of Famer. And no, and that's not taking anything away from him. He's an amazing player and he'll be go- he'll finish his career as one of the greatest scorers, if not the greatest pure score uh, this league has ever seen. But when you play with that level of greatness every single year, and now you might be having to carry a team at this stage of your career by yourself, people have reason to be skeptical of how well Brooklyn will play because Kevin Durant, as great a scorer as he is, He's not exactly Mr. I got you. I got you. I got you. He ain't that dude. He ain't that dude. He is about getting buckets. He does that better than anyone in the game. But when you think about Kyrie, you think about James Harden, they have the ability to get others involved with their passing game. That ain't KD's game, people. KD is all about getting them buckets. And that makes him, in many respects, a lot easier to defend than a Kyrie or a James Harden. So I'm curious, and I think James Harden will be back for game five, or at least that's the talk. Yeah, And if yeah. he is, it will, once again, it will force Kevin Durant to be, to not be the player that would, I think for someone who's done so much, it's a part of his game that can evolve. It's a part of his yeah. game that still has growth, uh, his ability to get others involved. And we're not going to, to see that potentially come to fruition if James Harden is back. So, uh, I, I, Brooklyn's still a beast. I mean, one Obviously. Kevin Durant or not, they're still a beast. And we, uh, I think we got a bit of a beast coming up on the podcast in a few minutes, right, Kwani?
0: Yes, we do. We have a special guest joining us today. We welcome in now Dart Adams, who is a native Bostonian, a historian, and an author. Dart Adams, thank you for joining the A List Podcast today.
1: No problem. Now the thing about Dart that you all have to understand is that that dynamic that Connie alluded to, the historian. That's why DART is in the building, because there are few people who understand the history of this neck of the woods from a sports landscape standpoint better than DART. And right off the jump, DART, I want to talk to you about the Celtics, obviously, and they've made some changes uh, yeah. recently, dramatic changes. And as someone who has grown up in this environment, who has been around this organization from a fans perspective, What's your take on some of these changes that we've seen, specifically with Brad Stevens moving into the president of basketball ops role, and now this vacancy with the head coaching
2: position? Well, you know, the talk a lot of the talk was that the players had tuned out the head coach, and that what he was doing wasn't working anymore, even though it worked previously. And so, it and a an issue with Danny Ainge was that. It seems like a bunch of people around the league either didn't want to deal with him uh, when the race discussion came up. It, he seemed to be like he didn't quite understand what was going on there, and he came out and said that in like his 26 years of, of being in Boston and everything, he wasn't aware of any racial incidents or anything of the like. And so there was so much going on that, and then of course, you know, Danny Ainge, of course, had his health issues. Uh, his heart issues that happened, so it was it made sense that he would step down. Mm-hmm. But in in terms of like uh, just pure uh, keeping everything where it's in line and the uh, continuity aspect, it would make sense that Brad would just move up since he's already aware of the uh, of the personnel. He already has a rapport with with the top players. And he knows about, you know, personnel and he knows a bunch of like coaches in the league and all these other things. He has all these connections. What makes sense, he would move up in that role, even if it's a temporary situation until they could get somebody, you know, who's more suited for it. And, you know, you then fill out that coaching position. So to me, it, it made sense, although to most people was shocking. I really didn't expect Danny to come back as uh, president of uh, basketball operations or the GM role uh, after this summer. What would wow. you like to do
0: when you're an ex
2: head coach? <sighs> so I feel like the Celtics had groomed a, a bunch of future head coaches, but they just left for other jobs before they could, you know, get the opportunity. Because you know, Brad's been around. Brad's been around for what, eight nine years. Mm-hmm. So. I felt like Kara was, you know, right in line for that role because she was doing some excellent work, you know, developing players. And, you know, she they really respected her and everything. And I just felt like, all right, if it, if, worse, if worse comes to worse, she's going to get that role next. But then she took the Duke job. And, you know, other times the Celtics had, like, uh, when they had Doc, I felt like Ty Lu was gonna be the next guy, you know, to possibly become Celtic Coach, but Ty Lu moved on and got another head coaching role. Um, I just feel like ideally it's going to be Kara or it'll probably be Chauncey Phillips um, or another ex-Celtic who's up for uh, uh, ex-Celtic who's up for a coaching even though I know Chauncey only was here for months. But I feel like, you know, those are the two top choices. I know there's an outside uh, a run for Becky Hammond, but I think Becky Hammond's going to land a job somewhere
1: else. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you bring up Kara because it, it's, she is someone who, she wasn't here very long, but clearly yeah. she, she made an impact during the time she was here. Um, the one thing that's been surprising to me, me Dart, and, and I want to get your take on this, is that when it's funny to me, and, and, I, and I say funny in a very non funny manner, yeah. that when her name is brought up, There are these excuses about how, well, she's not that experienced. Uh, I'm not sure how the players are going to respect her. I'm not sure if she is the right fit. And it's hard for me to hear that and not think back to like, I don't know, 40, 50 years ago, when if you take out the her, you put in another descriptive term uh, when it comes to diversity, uh, when it comes to looking at the position from a different perspective. Uh, I'm just curious. I mean, do you see parallels between maybe some of the issues that when integration was being talked about in the NBA years ago before you and I were both born well before we were born? But we know the history. Uh, Are these there parallels between that period of time and what we're seeing now where more and more women are being not just this kind of wild cockamamie idea that they may be coached, but that there's actual traction for them to potentially become an NBA head coach?
2: Absolutely. Also, it's ridiculous to say that Kara Lawson doesn't have experience. Uh, I'm 45 years old, young, and I'm very familiar with Kara Lawson and her background, coming up from being a player, uh, doing color analysis, uh, working directly with like player development, doing camps, things of that nature, and then ending up in the coaching ranks. And you know, she her job was specifically player development mm-hmm. and getting people right. And I saw how players were improving in real time when she was working with them. And it wasn't like she was working with people who had no idea who she was. Everybody mm-hmm. knows Carol Lawson's body of work. It's the same way that people are familiar with um Becky Hammond. We knew who Becky Hammond was back when she was a rookie playing in the WNBA for the um for the New York Liberty when she didn't get that much clock, right? uh, coming out of a small school and mm-hmm. it's the same thing with, uh, uh, Sue bird When Sue bird had her position with, um, uh, I believe it was the Seattle supersonics or another, uh, another job. And, uh, I remember Kevin Garnett even did a, a, a piece with her talking about, uh, her role in, a, um, NBA franchise and learning the ropes and everything else, but everybody's familiar with this woman and her, what she can do and what she can't do. This, there's a reason she got that job in the first place. And you know, when you see what she did in just a short time, she was a a, a shining star. You had her and Allison Feaster both in the same uh, in the same um, franchise, right? Doing amazing things. I just felt like anybody who talks about she doesn't have the experience, or she doesn't have it, or it's too soon, they're being they're being facetious, or they just don't know what they're talking.
0: about. It's ridiculous to mm-hmm. say that. If anything, she's overqualified. Yes, that's the she issue re- with find the right person. Twitter. That's just look. Do the research. Later, so- you responded to her
2: for a reason.
0: Yeah, been
2: there and done that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, the, the thing, the thing that I, I find is that whenever I, I hear people kind of raise those points, if you would even want to call them that, is that. it it makes me, it reminds me that we are still in a time where people have yet to embrace being comfortable with being uncomfortable. It it challenges their notions of what's supposed to be. And I think most of us like being challenged, but some of us like status quo to Trump being challenged. Um, Yes, that's exactly, yeah, I've phrased it that way for a reason. Uh, And I, I love the fact that we're able to have these conversations about a Becky Hammond, about a Carol Lawson. And we don't have to reach for receipts to justify why we're having a conversation.
0: Exactly. I think trolls will be trolls at the end of the day, so we just have to ignore them at this point.
1: (laughs) Trolls have their purpose in life, as we know. And for us at the (laughs) A-List podcast, we have... Our supporters uh, are not biggest sure. among them. Exactly. Biggest one among them is BetOnline.ag, uh, which is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball, as we all know, is in full swing and you can track it all on BetOnline.ag. It gets you all the latest news, odds and information for all your sporting needs. Real time updated odds and props on anything and everything. It has you covered before your next pitch. Head over to BetOnline. Get your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook expert. Don't forget that 50% welcome bonus with the promo code CLNS50. Bet Online, your online sportsbook expert. Now, Dart, um, I want you to just jump back a little bit and then and, and, and look at and talk a little bit about when the Celtics were in the bubble, um, and we saw from afar, just a different level of energy when it came to social justice issues and, and talk of systemic change and, and things of that nature. And here in Boston, as, as you know, Jalen Brown was one of the one of the more outspoken folks leading that charge. It doesn't seem to be the same once they left the bubble. And I'm just curious, as we move forward in what seems to be this period of racial reckoning and more conversations along those lines, do you think the noise that players made in a bubble will continue to get quieter or will, the, will we just see this this renaissance or research where it becomes more of a talking point and something that's more
2: talked about? I don't think that after the bubble or even before the bubble, if you go back to the I can't breathe era with mm. um, LeBron and everything else. Mm. And when you see what the WNBA did, when they mm. stepped everything up, if you saw the WNBA documentary, that amazing documentary that they just recently did. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to have we are ever going to go back. If anything, I think the only reason why uh, people didn't push as much this season as they did the previous season is because there was such a swift turnaround. There were the seventy two games, and then there was the play in that was added in later. Then there were all, all the uh, the games lost, the COVID, the COVID tracing, or the COVID protocols. And I feel like maybe those specific things were a part of the reason it was a 72-game season and it was condensed. Uh, I feel like those are the main reasons why maybe we didn't get back to what it was because right before the bubble, we had, it wasn't, you know, we had Galen speak up. We had Jason speak up. We had um, Ennis Cantor. Uh, you know, we had uh, Marcus Smart. You know, everybody going to rallies at a time when, you know, COVID was at its peak still and people were just going out with masks and marching and things of that nature. So I just feel like it was the nature of the particular season happening after a quick turnaround and the Celtics not being very consistent and worrying about if Kimba's going to come back healthy and then losing Marcus Smart to kind of, and then like people being kind of indifferent about the Celtics after losing Tommy and everything else, you know, they all were factors in why certain things didn't happen like it did in the bubble. Because you got to remember, man, The bubble was months after the season ended. So a lot of things had festered and a lot of things had happened. And so everything hit different at that time versus now when it's like, all right, we're going to have to figure out how we're going to do a season and see what happens. So I I feel like that was the main reason. But coming up, when things kind of stabilize, we're never going to go back to the way things were before. before.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. It it just, it, it felt as though that, that, because of that long layoff before the, the restart of, of last season in a bubble, it seemed that society had felt that, okay, this is this is the deal that we have to to, to embrace. We're yeah. going to accept a lot of these social justice initiatives that they're talking about if we can get them back on the court plan. Yeah. And it seems right. as though that there was this trade-off, even though it wasn't obviously spelled out in those specific and stark terms. And now that we're moving more and more towards it's not really a trade-off. These guys are going to play regardless of what is happening in, in society. That, that thirst, that hunger, that desire to put those issues front and center, it just doesn't feel to your point, Dar, it doesn't feel like it's got that same energy, that same juice that it had before. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not crazy about that, to be honest with you. I I love the fact that I was watching these, you know, extremely well-paid basketball players address a lot of issues that. We talk about it in a barbershop. We talk about it in a beauty parlor. We talk about it on, the, on the playgrounds. And it, for me, at least, it made them a lot more humanized than they would normally be otherwise. Because I think a lot of fans, they look at athletes and they look at players as these greater than, larger than life figures that don't really understand or can relate to the issues that a lot of people in society are dealing with. But, you know, I look at a guy like Sterling Brown when he was in Milwaukee. I mean, he. That does not ha that to a lot of people is like that doesn't happen to an NBA player. Well, yeah, it did. It um it, it it happens probably more than people realize. And certainly I, I would say historically it's happened probably more than than people want to embrace. Yeah. So
0: uh, mm-hmm. Dar, what more would you like to see when it comes to athlete activism?
2: Well, I mean, there's the I just like for athletes to be well-informed mm-hmm. about certain issues and address them in a real way, who, you, you know, as opposed to sometimes using them for their own benefit. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the followers. Yeah, uh, or cloud. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that guy. Um, I like for athletes to really be sincere about their, like, their convictions in terms of uh, racial issues, awareness, um, speaking out about things like uh, the in- the insane level of like, um, like when you look at ownership of NBA teams or look at the coaching or look at uh, the people in the front office and you look at who's playing the makeup of the NBA versus who's in, you know, the position to actually make the decisions. I'd like to see more done about that. You think the Rooney rule is an issue in the NFL. I mean, you think that because there isn't one in the NBA that there isn't still a problem? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Funny. Uh, and it's just like, and then another thing is that like, there's so many things that make people uncomfortable. Like, all the talk about who the Celtics hire and what's going on with the organization and the history of the Celtics organization, if you deep dive into other organizations in the story and see how many black coaches have they had, how many black executives have they had, and how long has their tenure been? If you look at the Lakers, who are the second most storied NBA franchise behind the Celtics, look at their black coach record and look at how long that black, these black coaches have coached and how much have they won and what's their combined record. and what's their average time of tenure, it gets ugly. And when you look at other teams in the league that have been around for a while, you know, it's dirty. But, you know, it's always an issue of pointing fingers here and there and not really looking at the real issues Mm -hmm. and losing sight of what, you know, of, of what we're supposed to be fighting for. So I'd like for the players to really, you know, really take this seriously. And you know, be on like be able to stand up to scrutiny when asked about a certain things. That's why I love what Jalen does. Jalen is about this. You know, Jalen, yeah. Jalen could talk about these things and he's serious about it. And he's also brought up, he was like, I would like for people to do this and be serious about it, and not just do it when it benefits them. And we yeah. all we were talking
1: yeah. Yeah. He, he He's very real like that. And, and and having spent some time around, you know, some of the people in his, you know, in his formative years coming up in, in high school and things like that. I mean, the brother what we're seeing is authentic Jalen Brown. Yes. Um, it, it is. And to me, the authenticity comes, the, the authenticness comes through in the fact that it ain't just something that popped up eight months ago. Mm-hmm. It, this is something that he's been building towards for a long time. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk to you about before we, we got out of here, because we, we still got some time, but I want to make sure we talk about this, because uh, it's one of the things that I know is near and dear to your heart. And if you are an NBA fan, you can't help but embrace this. And that is hip hop. Uh, it there's it is it has an undeniable thread throughout the NBA culture uh, and climate. And I'm just curious, just from your perspective how? What does it mean that the NBA has embraced that culture? Because it, it, it's not a guarantee that just because your players are part of that culture that you as a league, as an organization will. But it seems the NBA has really embraced that, particularly when you're watching games and they go from and, and they're going in their different breaks and you listen to like, like, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you listen to Crusher from like back in the day. And you, you hear music that normally you didn't necessarily associate with a professional
2: organization. But you find that in the NBA, though. Yeah, it took a while for that to happen. Um, when you think about, again, I'm an old, so I think about the NBA on NBC era, right? Mm. And the when the transformation happened from the late 80s to the early 90s, um, you look at the those early 90s drafts, right? Uh, right? A lot of the players that were still around in the late 80s, you know, had been around in the league from the soul R&B era, of the 70s into the early 80s. And again, it took a minute before the NBA really started to embrace it. So it started with, like, the early 90s with that new wave of players. We're coming on the 30-year anniversary of the 91 draft. This is when Kenny Anderson gets drafted. This is when players like uh, Derek Coleman get drafted. Then later on, we start getting the, like, the um, Alonzo Mornings, Shaquille O'Neal, Grant Hill, you know, we start getting into the nineties, uh, the, the mash burns, the big dog. And then we get the fab five into the NBA. That's Jalen. That's Jawan Howard, you know, and you got Chris Webber. And so the league is changing and that's when the league start really embracing things. They start putting rap on um, the breaks and inside stuff, putting it to the highlights. They start NBA entertainment, start putting out the, uh, the NBA superstar uh, tapes in the early 90s and associated it with rap and it just snowballed from there. It took a while for the NBA to really embrace it because again, when you look at guys like Isaiah Thomas, they grew up with Soul Arm being funk. You know, Magic Johnson, uh, Soul Arm being funk. And so it took until the early 90s to now. And now when you watch uh, you look at the desk and who's reporting, you got Jalen and the breaks are all playing music that, you know, Jalen used to play on his podcast, you know, or or stuff that uh, Stuart Scott used to reference when he was doing his um, ESPN show. I mean, when he was doing the highlights of ESPN. So, I mean, it took a while for it to happen. It took a while for that turnover to happen, you know. But it, when hip-hop kind of hit number one on the
0: Billboard charts back in 1991, it was an
2: inevitability.
3: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: And you wrote a book about the subject of hip-hop. What is that book about, and how can people check it out?
2: The Best Damn Hip-Hop Writing, The Book of dart. <laughs> yes, yeah. so The Best Damn Hip-Hop Writing, The Book of dart, is a book that's um, a whole bunch of essays that I wrote over a span of years collected in one book, and, you know, it's an anthology, and it can be purchased anywhere. Books can be purchased. Amazon, uh, Books of Million, uh any independent bookstore uh um barnes and noble
0: uh it's still in business yes oh i thought they got shut down i have you
2: can, you can download it from your kindle if you want that too yes, <laughs> That's you, can, what I do. <laughs> you can get the kindle kubo uh any digital download you can yes absolutely so it's available everywhere it's been doing well since it was dropped in um back in uh October 2019 uh we're gonna coming up on the two-year anniversary of its being released in October uh,
1: now the, the one thing because uh, I, I I did cop a copy of it uh and the, the one you no a no problem bro Try to be educated when I bump on here now come on uh now but the, the one part in, in your book that I, I thought was really interesting and I, I wanted to just that was a couple actually quite a few things but i'm just going to limit it to two uh yeah. where you started talking about how you and your mother bonded over the celtics i right. thought that was really interesting um like could you just tell a little tell folks a little bit about just that 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 bond that you guys were able to forge through the celtics and, and also I, I wanted you to share you yeah you there's a middle child story yeah. that on a personal level i want to hear about because being a middle child i want to know if I want to know if we got some of the same reasons why we we do what we do. But first, I wanted to hear first I wanted to hear about about just your mom and just how you
2: guys bonded over the south. All right. So my mom uh, came to Boston from Alabama, and uh, at the time she came, it was the '60s. So she uh, again came with. uh, I already had family here. They were living in the South End, Lower Roxbury, through Roxbury, some of them in Orchard Park later. And um, so one of the things that really made her gravitate to the neighborhood in the city was that you know the Celtics were out in force. I'm talking about um, Bill Russell, who owned slaves, which was right down the street. Um, Satch, Sanders had a spot called Satches at the time. Uh, Sam Jones also lived in Roxbury and hung out and uh, mentored some young people, including uh, Jalen Rose's father, uh, Jimmy Walker, who uh, ended up becoming the number one pick in the Jeter Draft in 1967. And another guy by the name of Willis Spider Bennett, uh, two of the greatest players that Boston ever produced, um, and he mentored. Uh, but uh, my mom was a huge Celtics fan, and that continued on until, you know, she had her kids. And one of the things we used to do was we used to turn on the Celtics game on TV, turn down the sound, uh, go to, uh, I think it was WBZ and Johnny Most, turn on Johnny Most, and we used to listen to the games. And the thing was that when someone was shooting free throws, my mom loved uh, Cedric Maxwell Cornbread because, you know, he was a friend of hers and he used to always hang out in the neighborhood. Um, big fan of Robert Parrish, loved Larry and um, Kevin, loved Tiny Archibald DJ. But if you walked in front of the TV while someone was shooting a free throw and they missed, it was your fault. And I'm like, how is it my fault that Robert Parish missed a free throw when he's two miles away in the North End mom? Right, you know, I remember the '86 finals happened, and uh, I remember Ralph Sampson was really irritated. He was always like, he was always mad. And mom, my mom leans over, she was like, that boy mad because he can't guard Kevin guard. I'm kept Kevin on Kevin Kev kick kicking his ass. So like stuff like that. So like I really bonded with um my mom over the Celtics. She would go to games and get mad when uh Antoine Walker shot a three instead of driving. A whole lot of stuff, man. So, my, my love of the Celtics is like really a, a lot of it is attributed to being a little kid and my mom watching the games when I was a kid.
1: Man, that's awesome. That's awesome.
2: Talking smack. That's what I'm talking about. Mama's talking smack. That's what we need more in this world.
1: For real. <laughs> I
0: don't think we need oh, anymore. Yeah. Mama's talking smack. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: But is the, the game time funny? Huh? That's the is game
2: the
3: sidelines. He
2: funny. didn't give you this middle child story. Oh, so. I started out as the baby in my family. Then my younger brother was born. And it's my older sister and three boys at the time. So I was the middle boy. But then, you know, my father's like, oh, yeah, you have another brother. So, all right, cool. And then more kids start being introduced. And it gets to the point where now I'm the absolute middle child. You know, so there's my big sister, my big brother, big brother, me, and then three more below me. So I'm the absolute middle child. So as my life went on, I went closer and closer and closer to the middle till now I'm the absolute middle. And yes, I believe that being a middle child really, really affected the way I see the world. Uh, they say in history, two things really affect the way you see the world Uh birth order mm-hmm. and, um, you know, when you were born. And when I look at like the time I was born in, where I was born, my birth order, uh, being a um, INTJA, whole brain, I'm pretty much a Batman villain on paper. It's insane.
1: I like that. I like that.
0: I'm the oldest, so I can't relate to either of (laughs) y'all.
1: We know, oh, we know.
0: (laughs) Now it's game time though. Get us going,
1: Funny. What we got?
0: All right. So the first game is called pick and roll. You pick someone and tell us why you're rolling with them. So sure. I'll make a statement and you let me know who that person is. Sure. Your favorite Celtic who doesn't get enough respect is or was
2: who? <sighs> Dennis Johnson. Mm. Dennis Johnson. People look at Dennis Johnson and all they think about is like, how did he score? How did he shoot? Blah, blah, blah. That man was a defensive genius who used to lock up the toughest guard. He used to guard uh, Magic Johnson. Uh, he used to guard anybody, and he did whatever was necessary to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned one of my greatest lessons from Dennis Johnson when uh, the Celtics, uh, Larry Bird, stole the ball. And when he stole the ball, what happens? Dennis Johnson cuts to the hole, catches the ball. And what he does is he goes immediately into a reverse layup so that the ball hits the backboard so it can't be blocked. And if it does get blocked, it's an automatic goaltender. And he uses his shoulder to defend against Joe Dumars or anybody coming after him. The ball hits the backboard, goes in, and then after it goes in, what does he do? He guards the inbounder until they call a timeout. I learned so many life lessons from Dennis Johnson. The man played an entire season with a broken wrist and still made all-defense second team Dennis Johnson. number three. DJ, rest in peace. That's
0: a good one. I like that one. Yeah. And the second question is who is, well, for you, it's my Boston, Mount Rushmore includes these four athletes. Obviously, Bill Russell. um,
2: If we're talking football, uh, I'm going to have to go with. Tom Brady.
3: Yeah.
2: What's now. I was curious. <laughs> uh I'd love to go with somebody else, but I'll go with Tom Brady. Uh hockey is obviously going to have to be Bobby Orr. Mm-hmm. Um, and what sport do I have left?
0: Baseball.
2: Baseball. baseball? Oh, Jim Rice. Yeah. Oh, Jim Rice. Unfortunately, I can't have um I can't have my man um Big Poppy, but it's Jim Rice. Jim Rice was my Jim Rice and Robert Parrish were my heroes growing up as a kid in
0: Boston. Who was That's the greatest substitute? You said you wanted to pick someone else instead. Um, Other than Tom Brady. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the Patriots
2: had a lot of really <laughs> uh, sad years where uh, <laughs> um, anybody who's a Bostonian will tell you we used to, uh, we couldn't watch them on TV because they didn't sell out slash uh, yeah. Sullivan Stadium. So we used to listen to them lose on the radio. And then after they lost on the radio, then they played the game late. And we lose oh. and try to figure, uh, uh, yeah. So Tom Brady ends up being the guy. But like, big if yeah. it's not Tom Brady.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Coach was no joke. No joke. Use the truth. But Tom in the, the rings though, man, it's it's hard. It's just hard to go against.
3: It yeah, really is. When
2: because Bledsoe is throwing at you in triple covered and you catch the ball. Mm-hmm. Forces Ben Coates and Ben Coates was one of the best players in the early uh, Madden games. You know, it actually got us props playing yeah. because Lord knows the Patriots were so sorry. The even gangs didn't want to wear Patriots gear because it made made you think <laughs> they were gonna lose. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's some knowledge right there. That's real. That's real though. <laughs> Boston gangs. Nobody wanted to be the Patriots. Right. Okay, you were not gonna. You are not going find a Patriots jersey on Blue Hill. You wasn't gonna <laughs> find it. <laughs> Two and fourteen. No, thank you. Tommy Hudson
0: <laughs> is the quarterback, replaced by Hugh Millen. No. Thank no. You. I love that, Dar Adams. Thank you so much for joining the A List Podcast. Oh, this was
1: great, man. This was great. I feel. I feel full. I feel like I got, I got some, some some knowledge. I appreciate that. That's what we came yeah. here for, man. That's what I'm here for. Appreciate That's that, brother. He's so important.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: You, all, right. all right. Dart Adams, folks. Thank you so much, Dart. Appreciate you coming on the A-list cast, my brother. Appreciate you all having me. Talk to you soon. Well, 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 Dart Adams. Listen, I, I, I'm he's a different kind of guest than we've had before, but, man, that was good stuff. Um... I I usually open it up to you, Quan, and ask you what you want, what you took away. But I'm gonna be selfish and call my number okay. this time. Go ahead. Uh, yes. I just I love the the history, man. I mean, we talk hip hop, we talk Boston Celtics history, we talk social activism, we talked about all the different things that are affecting this team now, and we got it from a perspective of someone who is a lot like your average Bostonian fan, uh, who's watching this stuff play out in real time, and has got an opinion and got a perspective, and I I love the fact that. What Dart was talking about, you felt was authentic. You didn't feel that he was putting on any fronts about. Well, I want to say it was politically correct. No, he just kind of kept it one hundred with us, and I appreciate the hell out of that.
0: And to that point, we mentioned how a lot of times the differentiate the differentiate like people differentiating Boston Celtics versus Boston the city. I think when you have Dart, a Bostonian, come on the podcast, it also shows that there is a voice of the people that live here versus when you just hear the fans, which sometimes those people we call the fans aren't even born and bred here or actually understand the history of this city. So thank you to Dart for giving us that perspective, because a lot of times that perspective does get buried by everyone else's opinion.
1: Exactly. And and again, he, he kept it so 100, you know, I mean, just. Bringing some real, I mean, straight no-chaser facts, which is what you want this time of year. Um, we've, we've seen fans of the Celtics, you know, in, in recent weeks and months, not exactly carry themselves the way you want your fan base to do so. Mm-hmm. So it's refreshing to have somebody who's been in a fan game for a while uh, who can speak for the fans in, in a way that, to be candid, I think is a far greater reflection of the fan base than you know, those knucklehead Yahoos, you know, doing stupid stuff in the stands that we unfortunately spend way more time talking about and wasting nouns, verbs, and adjectives on than we need to. So and also, we- I
0: need to highlight the fact that it's a black Boston sports fan because I said all of that, but the highlight is the fact that he is a black fan. Again, a lot of times people don't acknowledge that there are black sports fans in Black Boston. Celtics fans. Yeah, you go to these arenas and honestly, you don't see you know diversity you're not walking to TD Garden or Gillette Stadium and seeing a diverse diverse faces in the crowd so a lot of times those fans are probably at home watching the game but they still exist
1: <laughs> absolutely they and, and dar is is certainly one of them i uh, love the story about him and his mom bonding mm-hmm. over that uh which was great to hear uh the middle child story was good as well uh, lots of good stuff from Dart. so i mean I, I i i'm feeling great about this podcast i really am um feeling great about what you got coming up, Connie. What you got?
0: Yeah. So last week I mentioned I've been interviewing all the Boston mayoral candidates right now. We have four down, two more to go. So if you haven't checked it out already, check out NBC10Boston.com slash 10 questions. And you can watch all the interviews with those candidates. If you live in the Boston area, this election, as all of them. But this one specifically should be very important to you because it is historic and I think you should know who you're voting for before you head to the poll and not just pick a name based off of popularity.
1: Yeah, and no question about it. I think if there's one thing we've found within the last couple of years is how important it is to get out and vote, to have your every vote really does matter. Every vote really does count in, in the grand scheme of things. Um as yeah, for me, know.
0: Yeah, tell me, tell me.
1: Let's see. We got to uh, I actually got to uh still doing some off-season stuff for uh, Boston Sports Journal, and I'll, I'll continue to, to have a weekend column there. Uh, Boston Sports, uh, excuse me, uh, Bleacher Report, I'll be doing some stuff for them as well for the playoffs, uh, and also I do a weekly column for Ebony.com, uh, which is known as Ebony Magazine, only they're on the web now. And I wrote about this week about Simone Biles and, and why, you know, that that goat that you see on, on her, her, her uniform is not – it's not just an animal. It is because she has been an athletic animal crushing, folks. And why we don't talk enough about her in a conversation about being the GOAT. Uh, and I give you some real straight no-chaser re- reasons why she should be considered the GOAT. Um, and anyway, you got to read the column. It'll be out later this week on Ebony.com. And, um, you know, that's about it for me. I got teaching. I'll be doing a little bit of that in, in the coming weeks. So, look, Shiraz's plate will stay full
0: jobs. And Stay to your Simone cool. model point though, if you haven't seen her glamour magazine cover shoot, go check that out because well, those she bad are gorgeous. She bad. Gorgeous. Mike she dropped, bad. I don't even know why anyone else tries.
1: <laughs> she bad. She bad. And if you don't know, just look at the back of a jersey, let lets you know. Go bad.
0: Bad. <laughs> She's bad. Okay, so, I see what you're doing with that one. You see what I'm doing. As with always, there. though, we got to give a shout out to our sponsor, bet Online AG. If you haven't already, make sure you sign up with our promo code CLNS50. Let us know what you're betting on. I know right now it's still the NBA playoffs. We have some baseball going on. Find something to bet on and let us know because you're the other reason why this podcast is still here.
1: <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Well. Another one in the books, Kwani. Another one in the books. Nice job, as always. For A. Shra Blakely, Quanee A. Lunas, A-List Podcast. We are out.